Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Sometimes failure is simply not an option. Other times, it seems inevitable. Dean of Biblical Studies, Reverend Bobby Kilman, preaches a convicting message during IBC Staff Chapel entitled, How Good Kings Fail. Let me tell you something else about failure. If you're within driving distance of Lancaster, Ohio, and you don't make plans to attend Rush Student Conference, well, that might be a failure. For the next four weeks, our sponsor here on the IBC podcast is Rush Student Conference. Rush is a two-day student conference dedicated to seeing the lives of students transformed and empowered by God to become culture creators and kingdom builders. This year, Chris Green and Adam Shaw will preach to students on November 8th and 9th, 2019. So don't fail your students. For more information and to register, visit RushStudentConference.com. So make sure that you do like us and make plans to attend Rush Student Conference. We can't wait to see you there right now. We can't wait for you to find out exactly how good kings fail. We love you today. We love you today. Thank you, worship team. Amen, amen, amen. Aren't you glad people know how to usher you into the presence of the Lord? Amen, amen. I'm going to go to the word of the Lord. I I, want to just say thank you for that because uh, what I have to preach today is going to be a little bit difficult and you make my job easier. Thank you very much. Now, I'm going to, I have an imposition. Uh, You can... Um, if you make your way back to your seats as you're doing, I have an imposition, and I hope I don't make like the first couple of rows or so mad at me. But if you're a senior, I would like for you to come up and trade seats with one of these front row people. I am so sorry for this. You just have to. Brother Marshall, I don't mean senior citizen, so we're okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Rev. Good to see you, sir. If you're a senior, thank you so much, underclassmen, for helping me today. Beautiful thing about preaching at IBC is these lights are in your eyes, so I can't even see you, so I can say whatever I want. And I don't even have to worry about your response. That's terrible. Is my wife here somewhere? She said she may stop by. Okay, I was just going to tell her I love her. I want to go quickly to the word of the Lord. Psalm chapter 86, verse 11. And uh, thank you, seniors, for accommodating me. I know I put you on the spot. Uh, but I feel like I want to uh, preach. Prim- I'm going to preach to everybody in this room. But I want to direct my, uh, my thoughts more uh, in your direction as seniors. I, I wanna, I, I'm going to talk a little bit today, but I am going to try to motivate uh, so I'm, I'm going to be preaching today. I'm going to be a little slower. But I, I want to preach on how good kings fail. How good kings fail. Psalm chapter 86 verse 11. The psalmist writes in this beautiful prayer. Teach me thy way, O Lord. And I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart. God, grab the reins of every aspect of my motivations and my ambitions and all of my internal workings. Grab all of that. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Amen. We've been praying. Can we just, you let me pray one more time. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we love you. You see this tremendous group of ministry that you've called, Lord, that you've entrusted us to speak to. We pray, Lord, that you would anoint our lips, that you would quicken the word to the heart, God. 
that you could somehow reach inside of us and do the deep work of your spirit, Lord, through your servant today. We need you, Lord. Bless and guide and direct, Lord, so that we can be effective for the kingdom. We ask all these things and these favors in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, sir. How do good kings fail? I, I'm going to walk a little bit through uh, the, ver- uh, the, the former prophets. Some of you are in that class right now. And as I was studying this sermon, I, I spend, I, I frequent uh, Brother Rodenbush of uh, these books in the Bible because it is a beautiful thing that, that, that the Lord says, the law, the prophets, and the writings testify of me. And if, you've, if you're in former prophets, what you understand, oh my, we got men standing up on the back wall. If there's an empty seat next to you, raise your hand. All right, gentlemen, you can find a seat. I am so sorry. Forgive me for that. Keep them up so they can see where to go. I appreciate you all very much. Crowded chapel, that's a good thing. But the law, Jesus says in Luke 24, the law, the prophets, and the writings testify of me. And of course what that means is that you find in God's revelation in these books uh, how to walk as a good king, how to walk as a good minister, how to be, as it were, an effective person for the uh, ministry and, and a person that God can use and God can work through. How many of you want that in your life? And you're going to walk out of these buildings, seniors, and just, we're already almost halfway through this semester. So you have like a little over a semester and a a half to kind of get every bit of the last things you need to get to make sure that you walk out of here and you do the will of the Lord. So God records in this Bible, and I read Kings and Chronicles candidly because, uh, Brother Turner, it beats me up. It, it pushes me and it presses me and it grabs me by my heart in these narratives and shows me ways that I need to course correct so that I can do the will of God. I want to do the will of God. I don't want to fail. I want to be effective. I want to live my life in such a way that it brings glory to God. So I could, I could talk about all the bad kings today, but we're not going to do that. We're going to, we could talk about Judah, and, and, or Israel rather, the ten tribes, 200 years, 19 kings, and not one good king that followed the Lord. We could go into Judah. They lasted a little longer because of their, uh, their leadership followed the Lord. And they existed as a community. Now hear that today. Because they had godly leadership, they lasted longer. 350 years, 20 kings. And of those 20 kings, there were only 8 good And what I want to do today is I want to look at how good kings fail. I don't want to talk about Ahab. And I don't want to talk about all of the uh, Manasseh. I don't want to go into the bad kings. What I want to do today is talk to all of you good kings. You're here doing the will of God. And you're here sacrificing. And I I want you to tuck away some things in your heart. And I want you as, as best as you can, do not get out a shovel today. I don't want you to say, this is for my neighbor, and take what's in front of you and shovel it off on someone else. What I want you to do is get a rake and say, okay, God, I'm raking in all of your revelation to me because I want to do heart surgery. I want to keep some things in mind so I don't fail. Now, why is this... uh, In the Bible, because we're going to see that the Lord can evaluate a life in 12 words. And and it's listed in the scripture this way and recorded. And God includes these eight good kings and shows their tendencies. Why? It's in Revelation so that I don't follow their example. So that I can, you ready, see the tendency in my own heart and guard against it. And it's in the scripture because every one of us are going to be tempted this way because we're good kings. Let me walk into the first one. 
confined his life in 2 Chronicles chapters 14 through 16. 1 Kings chapter 15, uh, verses 8 through 24. Asa. What was Asa's big issue? Now, if you'll allow me to say it this way, he changed his trust over time. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 2, the Bible says, And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. That's 15 words, and that's how God sums up a life. Either you did what was right and good in the eyes of the Lord, or you did not. And God can evaluate your life that quickly. What's fascinating is he starts reigning in, in 910 to about 869 B.C., about 41 years. And, and, and you can divide his reign into four time periods. The first one is which the, what we could call the ten quiet years where God brings peace and he establishes his reign. You see, Asa had a family history. His father was wicked. His, his grandfather introduced idolatry into uh, the southern kingdom in a horrible, horrible way. His great Grandpa Solomon began to marry, multiply wives, and bring in foreign worship. So he's got a family history, but he decided to do that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. I just want to tell you today, I don't care what your family history is. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care about the mistakes of other people in your family history. You can choose to do that which is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And then God began to bring in victory. What's interesting about Asa is he stopped homosexuality that was being practiced. Uh, Brother Marshall, they had been practiced so much that there was a, 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 a prostitute, a homosexual prostitute kind of den attached to the temple. And Asa said, no more. I don't care what my daddy did. I don't care what my great-granddaddy did. I don't care what my granddaddy did. You know what we're going to do? We're going to clean some house. And this young man began as a young leader stopping idolatry. And, and he walked in and even his his uh, Grandma, grandma had an Ashtaroth pole, and and forgive me, but those types of poles were carved into all sorts of sexual imagery. And and he not only goes down and cuts down the idol, he burns it right in front of grandma. Hi, grandma. Some of you are going to have to choose to do what's right, even in the face of people that are around you, that are close to you. But it's interesting. The Bible says God begins to bring victory. And that lasts five years. And God brings this beautiful restoration for 21 years. And then the last five years, God brings calamity. The Bible says he didn't remove the high places. That means he was 80% faithful. You know what what it means when you're 80% faithful? You're unfaithful. Faithful. He gets in a conflict with the northern ten tribes and Israel's coming down to fight with Judah. And the fascinating thing is he turns to Syria rather than God. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 7, And at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God. Therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. So what he says is, uh, I'm going to make war. I want you to come down and make war on them in the north because they're coming down the south and they're, and they're building these fortified cities. And, and if I can talk you into getting in a league with me, Syria, at the end of the day, you attack them. They'll have to pull all of their troops and all of their resources up north and you're ready and they, and they, will, they will have to fight you and... They won't fight me. And the Bible says, and and the prophet says to him, Why hast thou not relied on the Lord? He says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein, look, God is looking for someone to work through. God is looking for someone to bless. God is looking for someone to anoint. And you've changed your trust. Instead of leaning on me, you're starting to lean on other things now. The Bible says, Here and thou hast done foolishly. What's fascinating is early in his reign, 
Asa had an, an, an Ethiopian army come in that was over a million soldiers. And, and, and he, he cried out to the Lord. And, and Brother Bryant, the Lord defeated a million-man army. And now over time, now because you got some wins under your belt, you ready? You cried out and God defeated when you were small. But now you've taken the blessings of God, Asa, and you're using them against him. Taking the talent and the ability and the giftings and the kingdom and all the blessings of administration. And now I'm leaning on what I can do politically because now I'm savvy instead of trusting in you. I remember Ron Mullen saying to a group of young people when I was, when I was here uh, at Bible College. He said, he said, if you write the check, you have to continue to write the check. If you manip now you hear me today. If you manipulate yourself into a position, you got to stay in that position through manipulation. But if you understand that promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, it comes from the Lord. And if the Lord will let you hear me, seniors, if the Lord will establish me, if the Lord will give me a venue, I don't have to fight for it. I don't have to manipulate for it. I don't have to change my trust and start counting on people rather than God. It will be up to the Lord to keep me there. The prophet comes to him and begins to warn him of his dangerous spiritual state. And here's the problem. He refused to listen. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 10, Then Asa was wroth with the seer. Get mad at the spiritual authority. Get mad at the preacher. And put him in a prison house. He was in a rage with him because of this thing. And the Bible says, And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time because being arbitrary in one area of your life begins to spill in every area of your life. When flesh begins to rule you in one area of your life, it's not long before it's ruling every aspect of your ministry and every aspect of your... Now, you hear me today. you got to save yourself. Why is this in the Bible? Because God is saying, I want you to check yourself. i got a good king here that's done. And he's marred his testimony because he fell away at the end of his life. Unbelief. Quit trusting in the Lord and start trusting in what I can manipulate. And finally, in, in chapter 16, you can see that he gets a disease and ends up dying. Can I ask you today, have you ever thought about what unbelief has cost you? Has it made me step into areas and that fruit of being, that fruit of unbelief begins to manifest in, instead of trusting in God, trusting in man and rejecting rebuke and imprisoning the prophet. And the worst thing of all, that what you ready, that little agenda that he had worked, Uncle Bill. It worked because you ready now the pressure's off and he thinks God has endorsed him. The worst thing that can do is for you to get into certain types of manipulation and then that worked for you. Because then all of a sudden you think you're okay. Listen, don't mar your witness. I'm, look, I'm reaching for a good king today. I'm, work, I'm looking for a good king. I'm not talking about an evil king. I'm talking about somebody that's good, that wants to do the will of God. you got to guard your heart and not change your trust over time. No longer teachable, prideful. Pride continues and destruction is coming. And like Brother Mullen said, Resist the urge to manipulate because manipulation leads to carnality and control rather and car control leads to carnality. So what does that look like? Am I, am I ignoring prayerful direction or godly correction because of what I can do now? See, Asa can do it now. He no longer needs the Lord. And when I no longer rely on him, self rules my ambition. See, here's the key to understanding Asa. Self-deception, this temptation for self-deception. Because sometimes we esteem ourselves just as spiritual as we were uh, another stage in our life, in this life. When sometimes, you ready, there are some things that come with uh, that first stage, a dependency on God and, and prayer. You ready? And am I still as spiritual today as when I was a young man? When I was little in my own eyes. You ready? Now that I know how to preach. Now that I know how to do something. 
some things. I know how to lead. Am I still leaning on God like that 15-year-old boy that stood up for the first time shaking in his shoes saying, God, I can't get in this pulpit without you. I refuse to change my trust over time. The second good king, Jehoshaphat. The Bible says that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam, but sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. I'm going to separate myself from those uh, people that are not doing right. And the Bible says, now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. And then in 2 Chronicles 18, verse 1, after this success, he joined affinity with Ahab. What's Jehoshaphat's issue? Wicked alliances. Now, I'm thank you for singing wherever you are, worship team, because I don't think I could preach this today without the move of God. Wicked alliances, what does that mean? It means that other people are going to recognize God's favor and God's anointing and God's touch on your life. And they're going to use and manipulate you because they want them. See, I wish I could tell you that success in the kingdom of God will only bring the right kind of attention. But it will absolutely bring the wrong kind of attention too. And it takes character in those moments to resist. Why? So I don't spoil what God is doing in my life. Compromise number one. You can look at it. You can check it out and look at it in 1 Kings 16. He gets in a marriage alliance with evil leadership, Ahab. Ever heard of Ahab and Jezebel? You ready? What in the world is a good godly king like Jehoshaphat doing, marrying off his daughter to one of uh, to that relationship? Well, maybe he thought it was a wise move. He could unite the northern and southern kingdom, and maybe there would be less friction because there's already been battles between the two groups now, and, and, and it's politically advantageous. I can get ahead, and, and Israel, will, you know, it's financially expedient. It's going to open markets and trade and all sorts of things. You ready? But it's going to end up in disaster. Because bringing Athaliah into the royal family almost snuffs out the Davidic line. Because she's going to grab a hold of that control and try to kill every son of David. You listen to me. Wicked alliances will always cost you. They will not benefit you. They will cost you. What does that look like? Compromise number two. Second Chronicles chapter 18 verse 2. And after the certain years, everybody say after. You know, you start getting some successes. Now you're... Reputation has grown. You got giftings and all of a sudden, Bishop, they want to trade in mentors. I want to give up good godly mentors and I'm going to connect myself with somebody else who will be more advantageous. And I promise you that coming down the pike in the future, as you get more and more successes, you're going to have to choose. I'm going to stay with godly leaderships who got me here instead of let somebody else come in and manipulate me there. It's coming. How many of you want to be a good king? Then it's coming. So what does that look like? After certain years, he went down to Ahab, to Samaria. And Ahab, Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance and, and for the people that he had with him. And, and you ready? And, and it's beautiful. It's a party. But the whole banquet is a setup to manipulate him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. Why? Because one compromise always leads to another. It's not going to stop with one thing. And the whole banquet is there. And the Bible says, And Ahab, king of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, uh, king of Judah, Ahab said, uh, king of Israel, rather, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go up with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he answered, Here, you ready, Jehoshaphat? I am as thou art, and my people as thy people. Jehoshaphat, you're lying. You are not like them. 
You ready? Your people are not like them. Do not join yourself to people that are not consecrated to the will of God and the direction of God. It can look advantageous, but you hear this preacher today. You're a good king, and you're about to wreck your legacy because all of a sudden, now you want to join yourself to something, and you've opened yourself up to manipulation through flattery. Lies. So what does that look like? He gets there and he realizes that he's in trouble and he's in this pressure moment and it's public. And seeking to mitigate the issue, Jehoshaphat says, hey, uh, maybe we should pray and ask the Lord about this. I'm going to tell you, when you look at First Chronicles 18, verses 4 through 8, that's a weakness in Jehoshaphat. Why? Because you should have prayed before you ever went to the meeting. You should have prayed and said, God, do I even need to go to that meeting? There's one true prophet. 400 false prophets, and it's never in numbers. Compromise leads to acquiescence, okay? Even though the prophet of the Lord came and gave me direction, I'm going to ride over that. I'm going to get in in the battle anyway. And that compromise, that first compromise, leads to acquiescence. Acquiescence leads you open to manipulation, and you're ready. You will end up in battles. God will not let you win. Why? Because God, can, now you hear me today, God cannot afford for you to be up, hooked up with some, some evil alliance and then communicate to all of the people of God that I will bless the wicked. So you put God in a compromising position because now he can no longer bless you because who you're attached to. And God will not miscommunicate to his people. So you know what you have to do? You have to say no to ungodly relationships and influence. You ready? And that means there are some people, and it's in the heart of every one of us to look for affirmation, but you can become susceptible to public manipulation. I know people, there are leaders that are pillars in the pulpit. They're strong in the pulpit, but they're weak face to face. And people know if I can get him by himself, if I can get her by herself, then I can manipulate him and I can get him on my side. If I can just get a meeting, you got to be as strong in the pulpit and you got to be strong out of the the pulpit and you got to slam the door on some relationships that are trying to compromise you so he blatantly disregards God and Ahab is killed and only by the grace of God does Jehoshaphat even survive and and, and God's not going to let him get it confused he sends a prophet in, in Chronicles 19 verses 1 through 3 he says shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord what is he saying? Don't, the prophet's saying, don't align yourself with the wicked because God doesn't need the help. And again, I'm not going to leave you to doubt of this at all, Jehoshaphat, that this is a weakness. I'm going to underline the weakness in your life because that's a danger to my purposes in you. Because some people, Brother Devin, want the benefits of, of what you have, but they don't want the relationship with God. So they will use you. Can I, can I just give you a little counsel? Don't let others add their agenda to God's work in your life. Do you have a difficulty saying no? Do you have a difficulty even saying no to wicked people? Then slam some door shut and say, I refuse to be drawn into your wicked plan. Compromise number three. He gets into an economic trade alliance with Israel. We don't have time to deal with it in detail. But God says, I'm not even going to bless your uh, finances. I'm going to let every one of those ships you sent out be shipwrecked because you're going to learn no wicked alliance is going to prosper. His children turn out badly. The messianic line is almost destroyed. Needless wars are fought. Ships are destroyed. And his witness and his legacy is tarnished. And, and why say this? Because you, you can go from understanding to excusing to joining. And here, here's the beauty today. I'm going to say something theologically profound. God allows U-turns. That means if you see 
in your life right now and in your heart an inclination that's open towards this. God knows how to protect us from our inherent weaknesses. And I'm reaching for somebody today. I want you to understand that if you have a temptation to just say yes to people and go along with people, go ahead, good king, go ahead, good lady, and you face that thing down and say, I refuse to let what God is doing in my life be marred and wrecked by evil alliances. Fourth key. You guys aren't wearing eyes. Joash. There's two periods in, the, in Joash's life. Second Chronicles chapter 24 verse 2 captures it first. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. What a beautiful statement. And then there's a qualifier. I hope the Lord doesn't have to qualify his statements about me. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord's. All the days of Jehoiada the priest. Had a godly influence. The the line was almost destroyed. And Jehoiada brings him in and makes him king. And God preserves the line. And they're having a mighty revival. But then there's period number two. The man he became after his influence was gone. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah. And made obeisance to the king. They're waiting, Bishop, in the ranks. They're waiting for Jehoiada to die. They're waiting for that godly influence to be gone. And then they rush in and they're ready to bring idolatry back into Israel. And then the Bible says, then the king, then, then, after the godly influence is gone. They're waiting 130 years for Jehoiada to die. Now, I just think it's beautiful, Brother Sleever, that God gives some people longevity. Because the devil's waiting in the wings. Manipulators are waiting in the wings. And God just keeps blessing some people with strength and longevity and strength and longevity. You ready? And they're having to wait 130 years. I love it. But then the Bible says, Then the king hearkened unto them. When the influence is gone, we're going to find out who he is. And as soon as the godly influence in your life is gone, you're going to, you ready? Just be prepared to be tested. Brother Patrick, when you're outside of IBC, you're no longer in North Carolina, and maybe you're older and you got some good things in your life, and all of those pillars, all of those filters, all of those stays are gone now. We're going to find out who you are. And at that moment, you need to mark it down to yourself. When that influence is gone, the enemy is going to tempt me. The Bible says... God will raise a voice. The Bible says, and the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. God's going to have a voice in every generation. He says, he stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that you cannot prosper? You cannot prosper. Why are you transgressing and cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord. He hath also forsaken you. What was the problem with Joash? He became like who he was last. Didn't have his own faith as his own identity. He just was a chameleon. And whichever group he was circling, I'll pray with the spiritual people. But when the spiritual people are gone, I'll be just as carnal as anybody else. I'm just going to tell you that that's part of the fall. And it's in scripture because that tendency, that temptation is in every one of us. To accommodate the groups that we're in. And, and you won't be blamed for what you inherited or what you are in Adam. But the chameleon needs to recognize the danger and repent and become a new man in Christ Jesus. He became evil in his old age because he lost his guiding influence. The fourth king, Amaziah. What was Amaziah's problem? He had a period number one where he followed God. But look at what the scripture says. 2 Chronicles chapter 25 verse 2. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. What does that mean? I'm, I'm going to follow God, but I'm not going to follow him perfectly. And the problem with that is a divided heart must eventually have to choose. Am I going to land with God or am I going to land with my own self-will and, and with people? And God wants 
victory and God wants to, uh, you know, he wants to bless. But again, here's the temptation. I want to align with the ungodly. And God says, I cannot allow that to happen and bless it. The Bible says, but there came a man of God to him saying, O king, let not the army of Israel, because I know you got this, uh, this fight and you want to go up, and let not the army of Israel go up with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all of the children of Ephraim. Nobody in the ten tribes are going up. But if thou will go, do it, be strong for the battle. If you want to align yourself with them, and you're not going to be perfect in heart, I got it. You go ahead and you be strong. God shall make thee fall before thy enemy. For God hath the power to help and to cast down. The Bible says that he repents and he says, well, I, I, but I've given away so much money. I've given away a lot of money. I've got a lot of money invested in this deal. Now I'm going to lose the money. And the, and the prophet says to him, better to lose the money than to lose the battle. Better for you to take a hit in repentance and get back on track, you ready? Then you ultimately destroy what God is trying to do in your life and in your ministry. So what does he say? And then he, he corrects and he, he does it. But again, his heart is divided. You can see that. He's, the dangers of success, that's period number two. He goes out and he fights Brother Henderson, the Edomites, and he wins. And, and the Bible says he carries the idols of the Edomites back into Israel. Why would you bring the idols of a defeated foe back into your camp? They can't even defend the people that you beat. We carry methodologies always back into our own places, uncritically. The Bible says, uh, are you ready? The prophet confronts him, but Amaziah is no longer teachable, and he rejects the prophet of the Lord's rebuke, and his heart is hard. And that proud, hard-hearted person is deaf to the words of God and the protection of God and the provision of God and the blessing of God. And then all of a sudden, because he's succeeding and he's got all these wins under his belt, he decides, I'm going to go up and I'm going to conquer Israel and I'm going to unite the kingdom. And he begins to meddle out of pride. You know what one of the hardest things to deal with in life is? Success. Because if you don't say God did all of that, you're setting yourself up to start taking your own ego and your own abilities and your own gifting so seriously that you don't need the direction of the Lord in which things to address. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I remember my pastor has helped me. He's course corrected me. He's got in my heart and he's united. He's been the voice of God and he's reached in, Brother Christian, and grabbed a hold of things and pulled it back in line. And he, we were talking over at uh, IBC before one of the night classes and we were talking about three or four big issues, Brother Marshall, in the movement, things we were concerned with, problems, issues. And, and I'm already in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I can write an article. I got that little 450-word article. I can do something in perspective. It's like, you know, that's not going to do much. Probably not even many people read that. They read Brother Mooney and don't even read me. But I begin, Brother White, I was like, I can address this. I, I think we could do this. I could create some lessons. We got a podcast at Young Adults that Brother Brzezinski's doing. We can use this platform. And I'm already, Brother Henderson, I'm formulating in my mind the ways that I can address these big issues in the movement. And then Brother Mooney just grabbed my heart and, and he just cut on me a little bit. He said, Brother Kilman, I'm troubled, but God hasn't given me a way forward. You cannot fight battles in your flesh. You cannot fight right battles in your flesh. You ready? Your zeal has to be directed by the Lord. Don't meddle out of pride. Uzziah. That's another issue. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah. Who, you ready? Uh, in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord. Leader, what a statement. What a revelation of the nature of human beings. What a revelation for me to grab a hold of the reins of my heart. And as long as he sought the Lord. God made him to prosper. 
first section in his reign, he, the blessings by seeking the Lord. And we see his godly character and the blessings flow everywhere, militarily and, and economically in terms of respect among the nations and building programs and technology and agriculture. All of that is so blessed by God that the Bible says that the influence of Judah begins to rise. And then, and then it gives us in verse 16, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Why? Because he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of God. I want to go in and I want to do the priest's job. See, this is the danger of Uzziah. Are you ready? The pride of presumption. Which is more dangerous to you? Affliction or prosperity? manifestation of pride lives out in sin because he, he was responding, now hear me today, he was responding wrongly to the Lord's blessing. Don't take the blessings and the provision and the successes of God. And then after you've won for the great battles, allow pride to think that you've done it. And now you deserve stuff and you can do whatever you want. The Bible says 80 priests, valiant men, I love that scripture, valiant men went after him and they're, and they're standing in the way of him uh, operating in this presumptuous pride. And I'm going to tell you, God has a strong cure for presumptuous pride. God smites him with leprosy. See, there's two tests. The test of obscurity where we make wrong moves based on wrong motives. But then there's the test of prominence where we stop submitting to authority and our gifts become reckless. What are you doing? There's, there's going to come a king that's going to unite the office of priest and king. And here you are out of presumption and pride thinking that you can unite that office. That's only going to be united in Jesus. You ready? And you're messing with stuff you don't even understand. Because of pride. And he's communicating, uh, Brother Brian, I can approach God any way I want. And God has to step in and, and cure him of his pride. He can't even be corrected by godly counsel, 80 preachers in his face, even by the word of God. And the Bible says, then Uzziah was wroth, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest. Now you get mad at every voice that tries to pull in the reins of your heart. The leprosy even arose upon the forehead before the priest of the house of the Lord. And the great legacy of a king is marred out of pride. I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. I just don't, I don't want to start good. I want to finish well. I remember it means accountability. It means being able to be corrected. It means allowing rebuke to walk into your life. Why? Because you need rebuke to save you from disaster. It means being open to godly authority coming in and saying, what are your motives behind this? Get yourself in control. I know you're the king. I know you're in a position of authority, but you're about to wreck this thing. And see, that's what the prophet is trying to say. I remember Brother Mooney walking into my office, Bishop, and he said, Brother Kilman, I've let my schedule get away from me. Just don't fire me. I was like, what in the world are you talking about? He said, well, look, I know I'm the president of the college and you can't fire me, but I'm also a teacher in your department. And if I'm not doing the job in that class that I need to do, you can take that class away and give it, give it to someone else. Why? My pastor was teaching me that just because you become the king, you are not without accountability. You're not without the ability to be course corrected. You're not without the ability to be saved. Number seven. Bible says of this particular king, howbeit the high places were not removed. That's the one negative in, his, in, in, in the kind of corner. But there's an interesting passage. The Bible says he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah did. Uzziah did rather. 
And, and how be it, he entered not in the temple of the Lord. He didn't blow it that way. He didn't get lifted up. And the Bible says, and the people did yet corruptly. This is the only king of the eight kings that there's no exception in his life that says he didn't follow the Lord. Does anybody know his name? My God, your Bible college students, all you seniors have been here almost four years. Surely you know the name of this king. Brother Zane, you're a preacher. Brother Huntley, you're a preacher. Man of God, surely, surely one of you three know the name. Brother Brandon, what's the name of the king of the eight that there's no negative statement said in terms of his qualifications? His name is Jotham. And we don't hear about him. Why? Because the people did yet corruptly. He wanted, Brother Henderson, he wanted to be a good king. But he was leading in a time where the people did not want to join revival. And we don't hear of any great real revival changes. Because even as a leader, you can want to do everything right. And the people's heart not be towards God. I want to help somebody today. That means there may be people that are not interested. I was just a young boy, young preacher, kid preacher, about 17. Uh, pre- oh, that's terrible. Some of you are young. Forgive me for that. But I was green. You, at least you're at Bible college. Hallelujah. I would have blessed those churches a lot more if I'd have went here and then went and preached, Brother Marshall. Thank God for gracious churches. But I remember I, I, I had a friend. We were preaching. We were preaching a revival, and that's like not cheating revival. That's like from Monday to Sunday we were preaching. And I remember I went in bishop, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying because that church was wonderful. I love the people, and, and it needed revival, and I'm praying. And, and I, I'm saying, okay, God, help me to preach what I need to do. I'm, I'm, I'm consecrating. I'm doing everything that I should do. Monday comes along, no move. Tuesday come along, no move. Wednesday, a little bit of a move. Yes, Lord, let it crest. All right, Brother Marshall, come on, let it break out. Let him reach, and, and it just and it dies. It falls flat. Thursday comes along, nothing, dead as a hammer. Friday, finally Saturday morning, I looked at my, my good friend at the time. That I was preaching with, I said, Adam, you got to drop me off at the church and leave me alone. I need to pray. And I went into that, I went into that church and I began to pray. And I said, Lord, you got to help me because this church needs revival and something's wrong. It's not happening in the spirit. There's no freedom when I preach. And you ready? You know what the Lord did? He lifted the burden of revival, revival off my shoulders and said to me, The people are not interested. Bible says in 2 Chronicles 27 verse 6, So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. I want to encourage you that you can have it even if they don't want it. And most, most people don't know him, but heaven knows him. And they may never know your name or at some conference somewhere. But you're ready if you're doing the will of God. If you're a good king, you can be a good king. Even if nobody in the group that you're trying to lead is interested in revival. You hear me, young preacher. You hear me, young minister. You just stay the course and let heaven record your name in the book. I'm working towards a close. Two kings, Hezekiah. What was his issue? Pride of heart. Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all of the uh, David his father did. Is it's fascinating. His first official act was not to deal with this massive. A threat that was coming in. It wasn't to shore up the army. It wasn't to deal with these big political issues and the and the fact that they had to prepare for war. It wasn't all of that. The first thing he did was restore worship in God's temple. He opened the doors that his father Ahaz had shut. The Passover was restored in Second Chronicles uh, chapter thirty, and it's probably there's a good argument that that's probably the first Passover in two hundred years. He organized the priests and the Levites with financial support because the temple has fallen into disrepair because no one is being funded to take care of it. He destroys idolatry. Second period, he gets deliverance from the enemy. The Assyrians come in and, and to fight against him, and, and they can't defeat him. They just can't defeat him. And you know the story. He lays out that complaint before the Lord, and, and they're trying to intimidate him because the enemy's tactic is fear. His weapon is fear because the enemy isn't going away in any generation. 
And you ready? What you have to say to yourself like Hezekiah got right to attack me is to attack him. To touch me is to touch him because I'm a representative of of the king. But what that means is Satan doesn't fear your worship. Satan doesn't fear your giftings. Satan fears your obedience. That's why he tries to intimidate you into disobedience with fear. Then period number three, after this tremendous battle and a miraculous demonstration where angels come down and slay this mighty host, the the superpower of the ancient Near East is, is running in fear, and then you get this chink in the armor. 2 Chronicles 32, verse 25 and 26. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. He didn't render back to God, pay God back with what he should have. God has blessed him. Now he's going to use that blessing against God. I'm going to say it one more time. He's blessed you with talent. I love your dad. Your dad is a good man. I know he's spoken challenges to you. You're anointed of God. You're used of God. But there are people that will take anointing and giftings and they won't render back to God what's due. They will use his giftings against him. The Bible said, For his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. What was that? What was that lifted up pride? You could you could speculate, but the Bible gives it to you in verse 31. See, that's why you got to read and you got to pay attention because that tendency is in every one of us. He says, Brother Marshall, howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him. God left this temptation. You're ready to expose something. And the Bible says that he might know all that was in his heart. God, listen, all due respect to the NKJV, it's wrong there. That's not God. That's not a capital H. God already knew what was in his heart. God was going to put him in the position to show him what was in his heart. What are you saying? That flattery. I've shown the Babylonians every. I've shown the Babylonians everything, and Isaiah confronts him and says, "Listen, it's not wise to bring your enemy in and show him everything you got. And when you see the wonder of the kingdom, then you're going to take the credit for yourself. And any glory that we take is always robbed from God. When we start saying things like we own this and we need recognition, and instead of saying I owe all of this to the grace of God." His heart was lifted up. And the test of self-knowledge is this. Who will you give credit to? Remarkable king. A tremendous history. And he fell prey to it. Why record it? Because every one of us can fall prey to it as well. The last king, if they'll come and help me on the music. If my wife was here, she'd tell you that's a false close. Thank you, sir. Josiah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father, and declined neither to the right hand or to the left. And in the eighth year, that's 16 years old. How many of you are older than 16? It's all of you. I love this young man. When he was 16 years old, while the Bible says uh, in, the, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet Young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he's 18 years old. How many of you are older than 18 or older? He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And early, he decided, I am not going to be like what I was raised with. You ready? And... and, and He instituted all these reform. He finds the law. He seeks God to see if there's any hope. And the Lord sends a lady prophet, a lady preacher, and says, because you've sought me, I'm going to give you 
peace in your time, peace in your day. Because you have sought me, Josiah, and you've reformed and you've humbled yourself. All of these judgments are sure, but they're not going to come in your lifetime. I'm going to bless Israel in all the days you live. He reads the law before all the people. He destroys idolatry. He destroys the dens of ill repute. And the sodomites again by the temple are removed. He even fulfills the prophecy of the Lord that was spoke by the man of God, God against Jeroboam. And he removes paganism and witchcraft and burns the bones. And he reigns 31 years. And then God allows him to be killed at the age of 39. Second Chronicles chapter 35, verses 20 through 22. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. It's a pagan king. It's king of Egypt. Must be the will of the Lord. But he sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I, came, I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have made war. For God commanded me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him and hearkened not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And God allowed him to die. So you got two kings that got themselves in trouble through meddling, right? Amaziah meddled out of pride. I'm going to assume the role of the priest and walk in out of pride. Josiah meddled out of zeal. And here's the problem with Josiah-like people. They have a weakness. Oswald Chambers probably said it best. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. Why? Because misdirected zeal caused as much trouble as, you ready? A zeal that was prideful. I don't know about you, but I've caught myself in many of these kings where I've had to face these issues and the tendency to be drawn into things that are not our conflict. I, I remember my pastor walked into me one time and he was talking to me after a, a rather uh, strong uh, altercation. And it was a, I, I, I was operating and trying to do what I thought was right. And he walked up to me, Bishop, and he said, Brother Kilman, if someone is going to hang themselves... You know what he was saying? Don't, you ready? Because if you meddle too much, you're going to give that person the ability to look like a victim and you're going to let them off the hook and people are going to sympathize with something wrong. You need to let them clearly demonstrate who they are. So what I'm saying today, Brother Ogle, God has had to clean up my mess on top of dealing with the situation because I brought gasoline instead of water. I've been another liability. I don't want to be a liability to the work of God. So I have a question for you when you're dealing with issues. See, see, is, is it any of my business? You ready? Has God directed me into this fight? Does it have anything to do with me? Because prayer must direct my zeal. And you need to fear using zeal outside of the direction of the Lord. You hear me today, good king. You need to fear using your zeal outside of the, the prayerful direction of the Lord. And God has made you this way. And it's a gift to the kingdom when it's directed right. Proverbs 26, 17 say, He that passeth by and meddleth with strife, belonging not to him, is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. You're going to get bit. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verse 25, And Jeremiah, that wonderful man of God, that prophet of the Lord, lamented for Josiah. Have you read the book of Jeremiah? Have you read Lamentations? They're going into captivity, Uncle Bill. They're going into captivity. And see, here's the promise of God to Josiah. You have peace in Israel as long as you're alive. And he cut short his reign. 
God of safety. Jeremiah lamented for Josiah and all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah and their lamentations to this day. Why sing about it? Because I don't want any of you good kings making the mistake that that wonderful king, that good king that was one of the best kings, probably only second to David or Hezekiah. You ready? You ready to cut his reign short? I want you to sing about it. I want you to pull it up in front of you. Why? Because again, you get 18 bad kings in a row in Israel. But the eight kings that did good. I I don't want you to make the same mistakes. Stand with me today. I know this is a hard message. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 and 6. You, six. You've heard me quote it many times in class. Let me say it today because I'm after you seniors on the front row. I want you other students, probably some of this, you'll have to tuck in the back somewhere and pull it out of your satchel, pull it out of your backpack later as you go down the road of ministry. But I'm after you today. I want you to say, Lord, speak to me from this book. Use these examples, Lord. I, the Lord put them in the Scripture so you wouldn't fail. So that you could learn how not to fail from good kings who did. I want to have it, Lord, take the reins of my heart. And if I see myself in any king, Brother Kilman, have you seen yourself in any king? Most of them. Many times in my life. And it's there to keep me course corrected. It's there to keep me in the boundaries of blessing. It's there to give my life impact. It's there so his reputation is not damaged. And my legacy is not tarnished. And I can finish well. Because open rebuke is better than secret love. And faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'm not trying to hurt you today. But the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. I'm not trying to just kiss you and bless you. I want you to correct issues in your heart. I'm not trying to deceive you. I'm not your enemy. I'm not going to tell you you're okay. If you see yourself in one of these kings, what you need to do is say, Thank you, Lord. Grab the reins of my heart. This is what I'm saying. Seniors, you need to say to yourself, Often, Jeremiah 10, 23. Oh, Lord, I know that the way of a man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Bow your head with me. These warnings are in Scripture because there's parallels between this Scripture. It indicates what true humanity is and what every one of us wrestle with and the temptations that you're going to face in ministry as you succeed as a good king. But our faithfulness in these things makes it possible for God to give our life impact. You ready? Number one, so we learn lessons of what not to do. Number two, so we're spared the pain of disobedience. Number three, so we don't shame the name of the Lord. And number four, these passages protect us. So here's what I'm asking, seniors. I want you to lead. I want you to say, God, if there is an area in my heart where I have to make a U-turn, Lord, Thank you for warning me so my life doesn't end down that road. Come on, is it it friendships? Is it wicked alliances? Is it undirected zeal? You have a zeal for the Lord. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you love the truth. But do you use this book as a sword and just hack people to pieces? Or do you really want people to be saved and say, Lord, direct every stroke of my hand. Is it pride? You lift it up in yourself and now you, you, you know some things and now you don't have to worry about it. You can do whatever you want and you're not accountable. Or can you be the next Paul Moody and say, I don't care if I'm the president of the school. I want to be protected. If that man of God can say that, you need to learn to say that right now. 
So I'm asking you, come up and do a little soul searching. You don't know your heart. That's why God gave you this book. So that in your devotion and as you pray and as the preacher begins to preach, you can say, Ooh, Lord, I see myself there. I see that tendency in myself. And he goes, I know, son. I know, daughter. That's why I'm exposing it. So I can protect you and you can be a good king and not mar your testimony. What I want to do through. Come on, in the quiet of your own heart before the Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I want to be directed, Lord. Come on, that's it in your own For the next four weeks, our sponsor here on the IBC podcast is Rush Student Conference. Rush is a two-day student conference dedicated to seeing the lives of students transformed and empowered by God to become culture creators and kingdom builders. This year, Chris Green and Adam Shaw will preach to students on November 8th and 9th, 2019. So don't fail your students. For more information and to register, visit RushStudentConference.com.